We are excited to celebrate the resurrection together this morning. So if you do have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28, verse 1, and we'll pick up there in a moment. If you're new to Scripture, the verses we're turning to today are about 75% of the way through your Bibles. And if you are new to the story of God, then it's worth taking a moment to sort of set the scene and the lead up to the verses that we're going to be reading this morning. Uh, In the first century, a man named Jesus of Nazareth is traveling around Israel, uh, teaching and performing signs and miracles. And uh, through the course of his three-year public ministry, it becomes more and more clear to the crowds, to the people around him, uh, to his close followers or disciples, that this man is more than a rabbi, uh, more than a teacher, more than a miracle worker, uh, that he is something beyond that, that he is in fact the long-awaited Messiah or anointed one come to bring Israel into freedom. Uh, And over time, they not only conclude that he is the Messiah or uh, this sort of savior redeemer figure promised from history but that God himself has actually come as the Messiah, which nobody was anticipating. And uh, this would have been shocking on many levels, but perhaps the most shocking part of this story is that he is uh, crucified. They come to believe he is all of these things, uh, and then he's crucified, he's put to death, executed on a Roman cross in a public, humiliating fashion for the world to see. And in the aftermath, uh, from our perspective, we know that Jesus was dying uh, for the sin of the world, that all of our uh, brokenness and evil and darkness and sort of inner sickness that we call sin was being uh, paid for, dealt with, atoned for on the cross in the very body of Jesus. But if you were there that fateful day and you were watching these things occur, you wouldn't have known that. You wouldn't have been able to see from the face of it uh, that anything deep or significant was happening. All you would have seen is the person who you had come to believe was more than simply a, a man being nailed to the cross, tortured in public and killed, hung up for the world to see. Uh, The Romans essentially ensure that he is dead. Uh, They kill him three different ways, more or less, before they take him down from the cross. His dead body is then carried and transported to a tomb for burial. And the despondency that would have set in in that moment is difficult to convey. If you've ever had your hopes set on something really eagerly and had that thing ripped away, Uh, then you get a small taste of what the disciples uh, are dealing with. Maybe it was a college dream or a home that you had your heart set on or a a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you thought would result in marriage. Perhaps it's the loss of something that you treasured, Uh, the loss of a marriage, the loss of a child, something like that. Some of you have experienced those things, and as a result, you can begin to put yourself in the place of the disciples whose personal hopes and national hopes all rested on this man, only to see him uh, brutally killed in a humiliating way. So they watch him die. He's taken down from the cross on a Friday. 
he's uh, and buried. The next day is Saturday. It's the Sabbath day. No work is to be done. And the next day is Sunday, the morning of the first Easter Sunday. And this is what we read, picking up in verse 1. It says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place, Lord, and we know that we live in a world full of so many distractions, uh, full of so many different narratives and life scripts that are sort of um, pushed on us, some very subtly, some not so subtly, and yet we recognize that uh, the real story, the real script, um, the truth as it is laid bare uh, is found here in you, Jesus, and in what happened that weekend. In fact, I believe this is meant to be the defining truth uh, from which we then spiral outward to define uh, what life is about and what the future holds. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you um, would expose and just begin to remove and strip away some of the uh, false narratives that we are carrying and believing and that this reality would come to bear on our lives, that we uh, would be known as people of the resurrection, as people who live in light of this uh, and who walk it out day by day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When Sunday morning arrives, uh, many of the key women who loved Jesus uh, depart before sunrise and go to the tomb. Uh, with them, they have spices with which they are planning to uh, anoint the dead body of Jesus. How they thought they would move the stone that's in front of the tomb, no one knows. Perhaps they didn't know the stone was there. Uh, perhaps they thought that there was a stone, but that it wouldn't be rolled in place until the body had been properly prepared for burial. Perhaps they were just doing the only thing that they knew how to do in their grief. But one thing is sure, based on their actions, they believed that Jesus was dead. And they did not believe that that was going to change. Now, in some sense, that is true of every death, 
Uh, nobody in human history uh, has been expecting a resurrection. And yet, uh, this situation is different. There's something unique about it. Uh, the people around Jesus believed that he was more than a man. They had seen him walk on water. Uh, they had seen him multiply bread. Uh, they had seen him raise the dead. Uh, their worldview and expectations over those years had been constantly challenged and stretched and overturned. Uh, what they thought was possible was constantly being sort of challenged and undermined and set aside. And in the midst of it, the whole time, Jesus was there. A God in the flesh, walking with them, talking with them, telling them about what was to come. Multiple times, over multiple years, Jesus explains that he will be killed on behalf of their freedom and that he would raise again from the dead. And yet, when this moment comes, his followers are not prepared. They don't know what to do. He's killed and everything falls apart. For them, that's it. It is over. It is done. As they walk to the tomb that morning, it's not clear what they believe about Jesus. What are they believing about him in that moment? Was he actually the son of God? Was he telling the truth? Was he confused? We just don't know anymore. We're not sure what to make of this, but we know that he's dead. And yet, when they arrive at the tomb, there is this shocking scene. There's a violent earthquake that shakes the ground, sort of shaking their expectations along with it. The stone itself is rolled back. There's some form of angelic presence there speaking to them. And all of a sudden, it must have felt as if they'd slipped into an alternate universe because everything that they assumed was going to happen was not happening. Uh, the guards who were there were paralyzed with fear and fall to the ground as the power of heaven descends on that place. The women are also full of fear, but the angel speaks to them and says, do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. After encountering and hearing from this angelic presence, uh, the women are still afraid, but all of a sudden they're also filled with this joy, with this strange counterintuitive sense of joy that was a million miles away just moments before, but suddenly the whole world looks different. Uh, all of their assumptions were proving false, and the landscape is spinning around them. I almost imagine them feeling light or heady or sort of dizzy as they begin running from this place, trying to wrap their minds around what has happened, and all of a sudden, Jesus meets them in a resurrected body, in a place they weren't expecting. 
And, and he gives them this greeting and he gives them uh, instructions in this moment that must have been bursting with joy. But the women were not prepared for what they encountered. This was not something that they anticipated. It didn't fit within their, their expectations. They, they could not rationally explain what was happening or what they were encountering. They couldn't make sense of it. And yet here he was, alive again, back from the dead, and in a resurrected body, radiant with the power of God. The 11 male disciples find this equally confounding. When the women arrive to share their report, they straight up do not believe the women. Say, no, that, that cannot happen. It couldn't have happened. It is not true. You must be confused. I'm not sure what happened, but it couldn't have been that. Two of the disciples get up immediately and run to the tomb and, and finding it empty, Scripture says they walk away from the tomb wondering to themselves what might have happened. Okay, it still couldn't have been that, but it shouldn't be empty either. They too refuse to believe until they too encounter the resurrected Jesus and, and touch his resurrected hands. Look into resurrected eyes. Weeks later, Jesus gathers his disciples on a mountaintop. This is moments before he ascends to heaven. And it says that as they gathered there, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What an amazing phrase. Isn't that remarkable? Some doubted. After weeks with him, like they simply could not wrap their minds around the reality of the resurrection. This is not how they thought the story was supposed to go. This is not what they were anticipating. And in the aftermath, they were left asking, how could this happen? What does this mean? And this is how the resurrection comes to us 2,000 years later. This is how the resurrection came into my life at age 20 as an atheist. Same Jesus, same resurrection, same shock and disbelief. By age 20, I was very uh, settled in my atheism. I, I felt... I had made sense of life and death and my place in the universe, and none of it involved God or faith or anything like it. And it was kind of sad, if I'm honest. In fact, I think behind my youthful optimism, I think there was a deep sort of sadness lurking in the background. But what's the alternative? All you can do as an atheist is just make the most of life. Try to put a good face on it. Try to accept reality as it exists. Allow yourself to feel that sorrow. Go to the tomb with your friends to anoint the body. People die. 
Life is hard. Deal with it. You see, in my atheism, I had a, a very settled set of expectations, very clear lines about what was possible and what was not possible, what was impossible. But then there was this earthquake that began to shake my worldview, it began to uh, unsettle me in the things that I believe. There was this encounter with the living God, with the resurrected Jesus that left me both fearful and full of joy. Just like the women this first morning. And, and like the original disciples, this is not something that I saw coming. I wasn't anticipating it. I wasn't hoping for it. I wasn't asking for it. I did not think it was possible. It, it didn't make sense. But I was left asking, in the midst of this encounter at age 20, how could this happen? What does this mean? Because if Jesus really is resurrected, if the tomb really was empty, if he really is back from the dead, then it means that everything I had built my life on as an atheist was false and sad. Sad and untrue at the same time. I was like the women headed to the tomb, mourning something that I was convinced was true, that I was convinced was unshakable, but was sad and untrue at the same time. I was like the disciples back at the house, trying to just get on with life as best as possible, not looking or expecting anything more, not believing that there could be anything more. And, and then news comes of the resurrection. Wait, what? Like, what is it that you people believe? Jesus is back from the dead? That's, no, like that's, that's not possible. That doesn't happen. That can't happen. And then comes the encounter. You meet with the living God, heart to heart, face to face. And everything that I believed was possible or impossible is upended and turned upside down. There is an angelic presence announcing good news. There, there is an empty tomb, an evidence that cannot be explained in any other way. How could this happen? What does this mean? For me, in my journey to faith, the implications of this moment were profound. First off, for me, it meant that Jesus was telling the truth. I had this moment of saying, wow, Lord, you, you were telling the truth. Your version of reality is the true version of reality. Your worldview is the real worldview. The things that you spoke are true, which means that my worldview and my perspective and the things that I believed 
are not true. His perspective, his worldview, his everything are, are sort of stamped with the approval of God because you raised him from the dead. Now, if Jesus would have said everything that he said and did everything that he had done and then died, we could still be inspired by Jesus. You could still go to his tomb and sit in that place and and you could reflect on his words and you could reflect on his actions and you could reflect on the beauty of his life. But it would be something else entirely. Because you can do that today with Buddha or Muhammad or a dozen others. You can't do that with Jesus. There's, there's no body to visit. It's just air. He is not there. He has risen. And, and as a result, I realized, wow, Jesus, I can trust in the things that you said. I can trust in your teachings, in your future, in your promises because the tomb is empty. In fact, if the tomb is empty, if Jesus really is back from the dead, then then I can not only trust that his resurrection was real, I can actually trust that my resurrection will be real. The the good news of the gospel isn't simply that his tomb is empty. It's that my tomb will be empty one day. As we uh, place our faith, our hope, our trust in this event, everything in us shifts. In fact, simply by trusting in the resurrection, you are reborn. Romans 10 says it this way. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that the tomb is empty, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And I had this moment of encounter in my own life where, where I did this, where I said, Jesus, you, you are Lord. You are who you say you are. You have conquered Satan, sin, and death. The tomb is empty. And by placing, by saying that out loud, by professing that, by believing that in our hearts, the scripture says something within us shifts. We actually become a new creation. We are reborn in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment forward, life is different because you have the very real resurrection of Jesus behind you and you have your own resurrection in front of you. You now live between those two resurrections. Both of them stunning, both of them real. You know how hard that was for me to take in as a skeptical atheist? Like this, this is not how I pictured life. This, these are not the type of things that I thought were possible. But by raising Jesus from the dead, 
he, he's assuring us, promising us that it is finished and that you will rise from the dead as well. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, it is about his resurrection and it's about our resurrection. That's your future. That's what lies out front for those of us who follow Jesus. And as, as we sit in that and let that sink in, we get to celebrate that and we get to recognize that, that that's a real hope. That's a tangible hope. There is no other worldview or religion in the world that has a hope like that. In fact, you can go and study the leaders of other major world religions, and one of the things you'll notice is that they themselves did not know what would happen to them after they died. They confidently said, hey, this is revelation I've received. Come follow me. Hey, what's going to happen after you die? I don't know. I don't know. Jesus knew. And we can know. Because the tomb is empty, because Jesus is raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. And with that hope also comes a joy. In the midst of a dark world and a cynical world and a skeptical world and a world that is marred with sin and, and death and pain, right there in the midst of it, Scripture says you can have hope. You don't have a fleeting, false, empty hope. You have a real, tangible, weighty hope. And because of that, because that hope is strong, it, it's actually a, almost a structure that can support the weight of genuine joy. My atheism was not strong enough to sustain genuine joy. Buddhism is not strong enough. Islam is not strong enough. The structures of those worldviews are not strong enough to sustain genuine joy. Genuine joy is, is too weighty. It's too rich. It's too heavy. Those worldviews collapse under the weight of it. But not this. You have a tangible hope that can support genuine joy in the midst of our worn out world. Jesus himself says it this way. We'll end with this. He says, in a little while, speaking to his disciples, in a little while you will experience grief and then you will have joy and no one will be able to take that joy from you. This is life in the kingdom. This is life made possible by cross and burial and resurrection. No one can take that joy from you. No matter what you're up against today, no matter what you're up against in this life, no one can take that joy from you. You have the resurrection of Jesus behind you, and you have your own resurrection out front.
And in this life, you will have grief. You will have troubles. You will have trials. But then you will have joy. And no one will be able to take that joy from you. Let's pray. Jesus, we celebrate your resurrection this morning. Uh, We recognize that we uh, live in a culture um, struggling under the weight of cynicism and skepticism, uh, struggling under the weight of anxiety and depression, uh, sort of uh, numbed a bit uh, by those forces. And yet we recognize that right in the midst of them, in the midst of our unanswered prayers, in the midst of our own pain, in the midst of the questions that we carry, that we can experience genuine joy because the tomb is literally empty. There is no other explanation for what happened that first morning except that you were literally raised from the dead in a new resurrected body, free from Satan's sin and death, the first fruits, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so as we uh, behold you by faith this morning, Lord, uh, as we gaze on you in your resurrected body that you're still in right now, I pray, Lord, that we would be infused with hope, that we would recognize that the bodies we're living in right now, if we trust you, if we follow you, if we, as scriptures say, fall asleep in Christ, wow, that is not the end. My atheism, I was convinced that is the end. You said, no, no, no. That is, in the grand scheme of things, that is the beginning. You will fall asleep in Christ, and then you will wake up again in a resurrected body. Lord, we recognize that we uh, live in this life, we experience grief for a short time. You say this is a mist, it's a vapor, it's going to go by in the blink of an eye. We have a few days here, so number your days because resurrection is coming. And we're told in scripture that Jesus was the first to be resurrected, but at the end of the age, every single man, woman, and child who has ever lived will be resurrected and stand before you. Some to enter resurrection life, some to enter resurrection judgment. Lord, the only way we can make the most of our days isn't by pursuing the American dream. It isn't working harder or faster or longer hours. No, no, no. Seizing this day, numbering our days, means waking up to the reality of a resurrection behind us and a resurrection in front of us. That's how we make the most of this life. That's the only way we can see clearly. So Jesus, we invite you to come and walk among us now to wake us up. Don't let us waste our lives. But would we see you out front even now saying you only have a few days left and I'm preparing a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not true. Right now, I am preparing a place for you and you will be there with me in a resurrected body. May that be the lens 
through which we see life, Jesus. Come and wake us up now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Easter, everybody. Um, I'm just going to share a, some word the Lord's put on my heart for all of us today. When Matt posed the question to me of where have I seen the power of the resurrection at work in my life, God took me on a journey of revelation. He spoke clearly to me of the power of the Holy Spirit and how I was dead just as Jesus died, and now I'm alive just as Jesus rose again. Just as he suffered, I will also suffer but just as he had faith, I will also have faith. Just as he cried out to his father, I will also cry out to my father. Through the reality of his resurrection, God has walked with me through many dark and anguish-filled seasons. All the while establishing a hope and a light in me that will never be extinguished. Last fall, God answered a lifelong prayer of mine to become a mother. I welcomed a foster son into the home that I shared with my brother, my best friend. I didn't think life could get any better and felt the weight of suffering through life chronic pain, loneliness, being lifted. I began to slip into finding joy based on my circumstances and lo and behold, my circumstances quickly changed. My chronic pain took a severe turn for the worse, and just two months after welcoming little man into my home, he returned to be with his mother. One month after that, my brother, roommate, and best friend moved across the world to Nepal. I was confused and I was hurt. I didn't understand why God would bless me and then seemingly take those blessings away all at once. Yet, in my suffering and my selfish anger, God gave me this verse. Isaiah 43, 19 says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I imagine Jesus clinging to similar words as he hung on the cross. The promises of a new thing coming for all humanity. The promise shared in John 14, 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The reality of the resurrection means that we can now have the living spirit inside of us who will equip us with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, no matter what suffering we may be walking through. Each of the Gospels gives a slightly different wording of Jesus' last moments, his last breaths as he hung on the cross. Luke says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Matthew says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In John Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And in Mark, it says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. 
The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus' death was full of pain and suffering, yet he had peace knowing that he was doing his Father's will. He had joy knowing that as he gave up his spirit, he knew it meant that the advocate was coming to be with his people, the people he loved. The reality of the resurrection is that pain and suffering can coexist with peace and joy. He gave up his life so that we could live with the curtain ripped, so that we could live without the weight of our sin, and so that we could cry out loudly to our Father at any given moment, just as Jesus exemplified in his last moments. Let us all cry out to him, knowing he will always hear us, for he is alive.